I'm amazed as I look back now. I survived 18 years behind bars. And I'm not talking about some bullshit minimum security lockups, okay? I'm talking about max, high security pens, state and fed, places with monikers like Bloody Beaumont, Rockin' Robinson, El Dragon. These places are straight kill houses, for real. And somehow I navigated my way through them. Not unscathed, I assure you, but uh, we'll talk about more of that later. What I want to talk about today is day one, my first day in prison, because day one, whether a person realizes it or not, is a defining moment on several sets too. And let me tell you when and where day one begins. It's not in the county jail where you get visits and watch TV and talk on the phone, get money put on your books and all that. No. When I was doing state time in Texas, the sheriff's office delivers you to Huntsville, the prison system. And the Fed, the U.S. Marshals, they come and get you. But the starting point is the same. When you hear those shackles and chains hit that concrete floor, they're coming for your ass. And once you hear that distinct sound one time, you'll never forget it. I promise. That's when it starts. You'd be surprised the looks people get on their faces when they hear that sound. Or I remember that one time this dude, his fucking leg just starts shaking on its own, man. I thought he was going to fucking piss his pants. Anyway. Okay, so I remember like it was this morning. You hear me? The sounds, the smell, the tension. I can see myself entering my new home. Groups of men scattered strategically in the day room, appraising the new cons. Of course, prison was even more racially segregated than it is now. So, I saw a group of older Spanish men and I approached. Right away, my language switched from proper English to Tex-Mex prison slang. Orale, que paso, hombre? You know, my dad, all my uncles, a couple of aunts, they'd all been in prison, so I listened to them. I listened to the way they talked, especially when they spoke about prison or some of the people that were with them in prison and, and all the, just, I knew the lingo. But the most important point I want to make is this. At that point, I thought I was insane. I had come to the conclusion that my criminal behavior, my propensity for violence, and my abuse of heroin was a result of some imbalance or a head injury or something. I considered myself lucky that I was able to function in society. Well, apparently not, but you know, I mean, not being committed to an insane asylum or something. I was different and I knew it, okay? I preferred being alone. I preferred committing my crimes alone. And I wanted to get high alone. You know, I mixed it up with my buddies just enough so, so that I didn't stick out, be weird or nothing, you know? And now, when I was in prison, I remember that first day I was thinking, now people will leave me the fuck alone and I'll get to study people. Because when I was with my buddies, a lot of times I just study, just listen, you know. So that's what I wanted to do. And now I'm going to have plenty of test subjects to listen to. So my first day in prison over 30 years ago was a defining moment for me. Because I knew I could thrive in prison if I wanted to. I knew the secret. And as long as I operated under its veil, I was good. And that secret is this insanity rules controlled insanity 
That's what prison is. Controlled insanity. Think about it. Armed robbers, home invaders, drug traffickers, drug addicts. All together in one place. All making contacts, plans, schemes. All unrealistic and all aware of it. But still we plan. I'm not sure why, but even at a young age, criminals or criminal behavior always intrigued me. When I began educating myself in prison, I wanted to learn all I could about criminals and criminal behavior. So I took sociology and social psychology, criminal and deviant behavior. You see, I had just left Tarrant County, that's Fort Worth, Texas, and I was there with three men who were all eventually go to death row and be executed. David Herman, James Bigby, Juan Soria, and then Servando Pachicano, somebody I grew up with, he, he had a capital murder, but they didn't give him the death penalty. They gave him life without parole, which he just died a few months ago after 31 years in prison on that capital murder case, he died. But all that was still on my mind. I thought about them because I knew these men. They lived in cells next to me. You know, we, we, we talked and we watched Jeopardy together and we... we just talked about the problems of the world like we could solve them and the whole time we'd be speaking i'd just be thinking man what's this guy gonna do when they come to his cell for the last time to take him to strap him down to that gurney and stick a needle in his arm you know you see james bigby and this guy little guy he didn't look threatening at all and i don't even want to talk about the crime you know plus i never asked men what they're in jail for, what they're in prison for. They usually open up on their own and tell me, and I get their spin of it. And whether it's the truth or not, who knows? I don't cross-check, fact-check. James Big was all right in my book. Whatever happened, he had a moment, made a bad decision, you know, and he paid for it with his life. You know, David Herman, same thing, you know. He's all right. He's pretty smart. He never could beat me in jeopardy. That pissed him off, too. I bring up those individuals because I wrote a book while I was in prison, and it deals with the death penalty, with death row, with prison. And I didn't plan it that way. The book, the characters came to life, and the book inevitably went in that direction, maybe because I've known three or four people on death row, and Three or four more that should have been there. But but in the next episode, I am going to touch on what David Herman told me. Why he did what he did in Arlington, Texas. What James Bigby said about his crime. And what Servando Pachicano told me. In 1991, I met Manir Deeb. He was back on a bench warrant off death row for a new trial, which he won. He actually taught me some Arabic. I'll talk more about how I met Deeb and how I met one of the Melendez brothers that was there to testify against him in the second trial.